Let us leave this place different. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May I have a seat? Good morning, Apex. My name is Jason Zastro. I serve on staff here as our growing team lead. Uh, What that means is, uh, for those of you who don't know, we are a network of house churches that gather regularly here in-house and online. And throughout the Dayton area, there are these tiny little communities, households, oikos, house churches, what have you, uh, to gather regularly for the purposes of worship, for the purposes of uh, sharing together in a meal uh, and encouraging one another. And um, tonight, uh, today, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to continue uh, in Acts chapter 11 and looking at Peter as he has come back from this experience with Cornelius and he is now giving a testimony about his experience to the uh, the circumcised, I mean the uncircumcised, sorry, the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, uh, and we'll just pick up where Mike left off from last week. So if you wouldn't mind uh, opening up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, uh, we'll read 1 through 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard what the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heavens by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds, And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, kill, and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household will be saved. As I began to speak, The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gives us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, are so enamored by your love for us, Lord. Uh, Those of us, Lord, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Lord, as, as Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down and that the two shall be made into one new humanity. God, we all come to this place this morning with varying levels of hurts and pain of broken relationships and I just pray that your spirit would begin to mend those in our hearts right now 
and through the teaching of your word by your spirit. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you guys, uh, but um, I can be a jerk. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever identified as a jerk, but I, I tend to be a jerk a lot. Uh, way more than I want to admit. I'm especially a jerk when it comes to people, which is a really terrible thing to admit as someone who works on a church staff. Um, But I tend to be very prejudicial. I don't mean to be. I just have stuff that I have. I don't know if it comes from my childhood, um, not to be Freudian about it, or if it comes from my experiences. But uh, there was this one in particular relationship. Have you ever met someone and like you're just immediately like, I don't like that person. I do not like them. I cannot tell you why, but we are not friends. I had a relationship like that once. uh, Not even a relationship. That's too positive of a word. Uh, This far off distant thing with this young woman I went to college with. uh, Her name was Brittany. And she was on student government. She was well liked. um, And to me, she just seemed fake. She just seemed like, ugh. Everything that I don't like about people, it seemed to be her. And for like a solid three years, I just had this judgment of her. Every time I saw her, there was just this thing that welled up inside me of just like, ugh, you are like the worst of people. I never knew her. I never talked to her. All I saw her was from at a distance, but I knew one thing, and that was I did not like her. Well then, God's kind of funny. Uh, I, myself, uh, by not really wanting to be, got elected to student government. Um, I was involved with something called the Intercollegiate Council. I loved it because I was a student at Cedarville, and it means that I got to hang out with students at Wilberforce and Central State, and yes, even Antioch College, who are honestly the best of them all, in my opinion. And uh, because I got involved with student government, we had a week where we had to spend together. Um, before school started, they brought us all in um, and we spent a week together. And you can imagine, here is now Brittany and I are on the same team. And we ate a lot of meals together. In fact, we ate all three meals every single day together because our teachers at that time, our advisors at that time, knew the power of a shared meal, of a shared table. And throughout the course of the week, the Lord just slowly softened my heart and heart towards Brittany to the point where I actually felt God's voice at that time say, you need to go and apologize to her. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why do I need to apologize to this person that she doesn't even know that I don't like her? That I've never, had, I've never had a conversation with her in my entire life, minus the tiny little bits here and there during our week together. But the Lord was like, no, this is what it means to be faithful to me right now. You go and you say you're sorry. So I remember sitting on the floor of the SGA office at school, Student Government Association or whatever it was called, and she's sitting next to me and we're cutting some sort of flyers up to pass out to students for getting started for the first week and it was like, this is, this is it. And I said, I, look, I looked at Brittany and I said, Brittany, I have something that I have to confess to you. And I told her these, these years of judgment that I had stored up against her. And I just said, I'm sorry. And she started to weep. 
And she said, I have had people who have just judged me my entire time here and never knew me. And, you're the, and I know this is happening, but this is the first time someone has ever said that they were sorry. And Brittany and I became friends. We had a great year together. Uh, she has a book coming out talking about what it means to be an adoptive mother. She's a phenomenal person. I'm so excited to call her my friend. That whole idea of prejudice, to prejudge, that's something that all of us wrestle with. Even last night, I didn't even realize that I was trying to fall asleep and put on something that would fall, make me fall asleep, and I was, for whatever reason, I turned on Pride and Prejudice. I was like, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about tomorrow. <laughs> and, and you watch Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy have this prejudice stored up against one another because of personality, because of class, but it's when they spend time together that those, those walls break down, as Peter says in his first epistle, for love covers what? A multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Peter just had one of the most profound experiences ever recorded. We know that because this is the third time Luke lets us know about this story. Not once, not twice, but three times saying, church, pay attention. This matters. We are all, because of the fall, broken, afraid, fearful, and because of that, we put people at arm's length or we kick them across the curb and to the other side of the road or across the train tracks. Because we're afraid. Because fear, guilt, and shame rule our lives. And what God is saying is, my same spirit that has been dwelling amongst the people is now going to dwell amongst my people, the Jews, is now going to dwell amongst all the nations. And if that's true, this changes everything. Now, Peter, let's look at what it says here. It says in verse two, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him Diacrino, it, it means to judge harshly, to thoroughly doubt. It means to say you are wrong before you even get a chance to say what happened. It's a prejudgment is what's going on here. They are diacrinoing him. They are, they are kicking him to the curb and saying we want nothing to do with what you have to say because you did this thing. You ate with a Gentile. Now, why would they believe this? The whole idea of table fellowship is very, very important within Jewish culture. The whole idea of eating, uh, and this is very well might, might, well might be what Peter would say to them. He could give them a beautiful biblical exegesis as to why he was able to sit down with them. Starting in the very beginning, in the garden, God ate and had fellowship with humanity. They were to eat of the tree of life constantly. They were constantly to, to dwell with him and to walk with him and to learn with him. They were always to be in fellowship with God. But as we know, they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and thereby, thereby took this beautiful fellowship that we can have around the table and they began, it, it became broken. 
And we saw humanity, as humanity grew in number, they got to a point where there was many different, they were all of one voice, but then, then God caused the dispersion into these many different nations because they were using their unity, they were using their one voice to rise up against God. And so he broke them down into their diversity, but not without a promise of making them one again. After the Tower of Babel, God raises up Abram, and he gives this promise to Abram. Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And through you, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God has always been in the business of blessing the nations from the very beginning. Abram himself, in order to begin to experience this, he would wander around the land waiting until God showed him where to stay. And on one of his journeys, on one of his wanderings, he met a, a king by the name of Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And he laid out a table, and he ate with Melchizedek, one who was both priest and king, a picture of the type of priest-king that we would one day have in Christ. God's people grew in number, and they became the nation of Israel, God loved dwelling with his people, and so he made a dwelling place, a tabernacle, so that wherever they go, would go, they would be in his presence. And not just that, but he created certain types of laws in order to establish their identity as God's people and to teach others, the nations, his ways. A couple of these types of 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 offerings are my favorite. I always say Leviticus is one of my favorite books in the Bible and everyone's always like, are you kidding me? And it is, and the reason for it is because of these fellowship and these Thanksgiving offerings because they would take the food from the sacrificed animal and, and they would actually go and take it, especially with the fellowship offering and the Thanksgiving offering, eat in the, in the, in the tabernacle courts and the temple courts together as a family in the presence with God. A shared table has always meant a shared presence with God. To be with him where he is and him with us where, where we are. And the way Israel was supposed to have this tabernacle life was to always be going around and being amongst the nations. But something happened. Instead of staying pure in heart towards God, they became idolatrous from the gods of the nations. They began to worship them. And instead of actually just having the proper orientation towards God, towards one another, and towards the world, they completely cut themselves off from the world. They wanted to have what was called just a, a, an absolute following to Torah, to, to the letter of the law. In fact, they even created additional things that weren't necessarily there. So much so that when they built the second temple, after coming back from the exile, they began to establish courts within the life of the temple. Courts for men, courts for women, and courts for the nations. Because the whole idea was the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the holier you were, the, the closer you were, were to God, and we're not going to let the Gentiles get nearly as near to God as much as we are. There was... Again, as Paul says it in the book of Ephesians, the dividing wall of hostility. And then came Jesus, and he had a meal. He was always eating. 
I'm not sure if you guys have seen uh, the show Chosen, The Chosen, but one of my favorite scenes is I think in the first, uh, uh, I think it's episode five or something like that with the Samaritan woman, but they're all sitting around and a Pharisee comes to them and there is a prostitute and a tax collector and a whole bunch of people that Jesus shouldn't have been associating with. And they're like, why do you eat with them? And Jesus's response was, I did not come to, to, to heal the healthy, but to save the sick. Jesus has always been in the business of of being with those who are far off and bringing them near. And in fact, at Jesus' final supper, his enemy is there in the person of Judas. And he pleads with Judas not to go and do what he's to do. But regardless, he still takes the bread, he dips it in the wine, and he shares a meal with him. So the church, looking back, Peter, looking back, he could have said all of that to give a reason as to why he sat down with the Gentiles. But that's not what he did. He had something more deep and more profound than that, and that was a personal experience with the Spirit of God. As John Stott says it, there's four hammers in this text. Four things that assuredly and undoubtedly state that God is in the business of reconciling people, of bringing intimacy amongst those who do not have intimacy. In verse four, we see, and five, we see this divine vision. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So here we have a voice saying for the second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Here's Peter and he is receiving a divine vision. Just like the prophets of old, just like what was promised in the book of Joel at the beginning of his own sermon that he's gonna give men and women and sons and daughters dreams and visions. Here he is with a divine vision. A divine vision to have table fellowship with the nations. What is it about a table? What is it about a table that is so nerve-wracking yet so sweet Obviously, it's nerve-wracking. Otherwise, we wouldn't spend hours and hours cleaning our house before people came over. Yet so sweet because there's a fellowship, there's a relationship, there's an intimacy that we get to experience together. I think, I was talking about this with my brother and sister-in-law this week, and I think one of the things that's so most powerful about the table when it is done well, when when we are living into its fullness, is that it's a place where we're both seen and heard. Where we share stories and we give affirmation and witness to the stories that we hear. Where there's validation that says, I may not be like you and I may not have that same experience, but I'm here and I'm with you as you share yours. I'm talking about a lingering table, not just a quick meal after you pop in the microwave, but those type of conversations around the table that just 
seem to last into the night. I know it's a place of intimacy because around the table, some of us have experienced our most deep pains and hurts, where words of love were not shared, but it was words of hate and anger and hurt. And the very idea of of having a shared table with someone else is scary, is a painful prospect. This is why the Spirit is saying, I am present in this place. I am present in the midst of both the, the pain and the positive, both the good and the bad. So after this, there's a divine command. Verse 11, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And here's the command. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with him. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered into the man's house. Now, here's something that's really interesting about this. Remember earlier we heard that word diacreno to mean to have judgment? Here, the word here of no hesitation, made a diacreno to not have any judgment whatsoever. It's the same word, and now the Spirit is, saying, is flipping on it. And, and, and Peter, in his retelling of the story, is taking the judgment that they have placed on him, and he's saying, actually, the exact opposite takes place at God's table. To have no, to have no hesitation in going. There's this divine command that they are to have no hesitation of sitting down. And then there's divine preparation. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and your entire house should be, should be saved. We've seen a divine vision, a divine command, and now a divine preparation. As John Stott tells us that, that in the works of, in the hearts of these Gentiles, the spirit of God is already at work. That he loves the nations more than we could ever love. And not just the nations, one another. All as potential kids. All as brought in people. And so our tables Our fellowship becomes this microcosm of what God is doing in the universe to bring all of humanity together. And finally, divine action. In verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon us in the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord said, John baptized them with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I to think that I could stand in God's way? What I love about this is it's Peter began to speak, and then it's like the spirit was so excited for about what's coming that he just cut Peter off. Peter's beginning to, just as he's done before, say at Pentecost and, and give a beautiful and I'm sure eloquent sermon, the spirit's like, I don't got time for that. And he goes in and he just, they begin just as they were in the beginning. As it says there, he's pointing them back to this same experience, brothers and sisters, that we had at Pentecost, they have also had. The Spirit of God dwells in them as much as he dwells in us. So what does that mean? Who am I to think that I could stand in God's way? 
with Peter, what he is doing is his, his own body is becoming a bridge to the Jews and the Gentiles. In his own flesh, he is standing before them and he's pleading. Just as Jesus in his body stood as a bridge between us as humanity and God, here is Peter, he's standing in the gap. I bet he's remembering, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of man, of God. So here's Peter, he already has fellowship with his brothers and sisters, the Jews but he's also extending the right hand of fellowship to the Gentiles. That's what we do. That's what the cross is. That's what Jesus did. We stand in the gap. And in our own bodies, we display unity and intimacy and reconciliation. There's something beautiful about the table because it takes dead things and it makes them alive again. Let's follow the breadcrumbs. First, because of the fall, there's death. Well, just like uh, C.S. Lewis said, and behind every unrighteous or broken thing, we can twist it back towards some righteous expression. So what's behind death? Well, behind death is division and relationships. What's behind division in relationships? If we were to make it a little bit less sinful, just difference, difference of opinion. And what's behind that? What's the life-giving thing? Diversity. Here we see it as expressed between the Jews and the Gentiles. For me, in my situation, it was Brittany and me. I don't know what the difference was or the diversity was, but it was there enough that sin was able to take hold and cause me to question and not love her as my sister in Christ. Maybe there's someone in your own life that there's been a difference of opinion and it's gone from just difference to division and maybe it's gotten to a place where the relationship is completely broken. The beauty of the cross is that Christ took on death so that we can have restored life in all things. So we can have restored life with him, the Father and the Spirit, so we can have restored life with one another, so we can have restored life with a broken world. Love covers a multitude of sins. By the end of the story, when we get to the book of Revelation, we see this tree of life. We heard about it just a few minutes ago, the tree of life in the garden. But by the time we get to the end of the story, we see the tree of life again. There's Christ's throne there in the middle, God's throne, and from it is a river of life. And on either side of the river of life is the tree of life, with fruit for every season, 12 times. And this is what it says in Revelation 22.2. For the leaves of the tree of life are used for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree of life are used for the healing of the nations. Whether it's at the macro scale amongst nations who are fighting against each other 
or the micro scale between a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, sisters, brothers, co-workers, friends. The tree and its leaves are used for the purposes of healing. And there was a leaf that was used by Peter on that day, by the Spirit even more, to bring healing between a guy named Peter and a guy named Cornelius. But it was so much bigger than that. Let's pray.